easy A. But uh, it was an interesting class, and in this class, we discussed how different cultures view death. And, and we also talked about the way our culture view death, the people in our culture and the way we cope with death, the reality of death. And one thing that I, I took away from the class was that the, the fact that people in our culture, they don't want to talk about death. They don't. I mean, we, we rarely do we acknowledge people as being dead. For example, if you were to ask someone about their parents and they, they replied back, oh, he or she is dead, or he or she died, you'd kind of come away thinking, man, that's kind of a harsh way of putting it. When, when in all honesty, it's just an honest way of putting it, isn't it? But, but we don't like that word death or dead, do we? Instead, we use all sorts of euphemisms to help us feel a little bit more comfortable about the reality of death. So when, when talking about people, we'll say they've passed away or they've returned home or they've gone on to another place. They're sleeping in Jesus. That's normally the way we uh, refer to death when we're in the church or at a funeral or at a memorial service. And, and then at other times, we speak very casually and flippantly and jokingly about death, don't we? We refer to death as taking a dirt nap, cashing in the chips, biting the dust, kicking the bucket. And I see some of y'all already taking notes. You're like, taking a dirt nap, that's a good one. I'm, I'm going to use that one again. I mean, we will use whatever term or whatever phrase we can to avoid talking about death. So, so whether we go all the way to the righteous right and use this way, my right, the righteous right using all kinds of, of sanctimonious terms about death or whether we go to the, the loosey left and, and talk jokingly and flippantly about death, the truth is no one wants to talk about death. We don't. No one except for Solomon, that is. Seems as if Solomon... In this book of Ecclesiastes, he's never afraid to ask the tough questions and address the difficult issues. And in our text for today, it's no exception. What Solomon is going to do this morning is he's going to make us all feel a bit uncomfortable because he's going to talk to us about our least favorite topic of discussion, that of death. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes 9. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. We're continuing our uh, series this morning on, uh, through the book of Ecclesiastes entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun. And this morning, Solomon is going to make the point that you and I and all people without exception are going to die. You are going to die and I'm going to die and there's nothing we can do about it. You can exercise. You can drink bottled waters 10 times a day. You can swear off McDonald's and the donuts we provide out there on Sunday morning. And it doesn't matter because we are all going to die. And what Solomon is going to tell us in this text is it's important for us to think about our dying day. And the reason why is because we are not ultimately prepared to live until we're prepared to die. Okay, so let's look in our text this morning 
and let's make sense of our dying day. Here's the first principle. First, Solomon tells us, relax. God is in control. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 9. He says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. Now in verse 1, Solomon kind of breaks his normal routine and begins with the word of comfort here. He reminds us in this verse of Scripture that though there are all these uncertainties in life and though there's all these mysteries to life and, and uncertainty about our dying day, he, he talks to us, he reminds us this morning that God is in control. He is sovereign. Now just because that's the case, that doesn't mean life's easy, does it? doesn't that doesn't guarantee that we're going to have a pain-free existence just because god is sovereign that doesn't mean that our life is going to be filled with love and hugs and sunshine and smiles we talked about this already life for the righteous is at times difficult isn't it we see the wicked prosper in this life while the righteous suffer we see the good die young while the wicked go on and live a life, a full life, a long life with little heartache. But what Solomon says here is, though this is the case, though the, though the, uh, the, the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer, I, we are in the hands of God, no matter what happens. That means you and I, no matter what, we can trust in God because our life is in his hands. Whether it's love or hate, whether it's things going well for us or whether things are miserable, we can still be joyful and God can still be trusted because he's in control. Even at times when he, he seems to be completely absent. Those are in fact the times when we find out that God is very much in control, right? We see that at the cross. And when we realize this about God, get this, that he holds us in his hand and that he is in control no matter what, when we have this kind of perspective, you know what? We can have supreme confidence in God's will. We can. We can have supreme confidence in his will, having this perspective. And this can change our whole outlook on life. Think about this. If God is in control of all things, if we, are in his, if we are in his hand and he is, his hand is over our health and our relationships and our finances and over our work and over our pain and over our suffering and over our trials, get this. If God is in control of all of those things and he has purpose behind what he does and his purpose is good, that might just mean that the greatest tragedy in your life could really turn out to be the greatest joy. You ever thought about that? It might just mean that our loss of things leads us to more of Him. It might just mean that the deterioration of our health will lead us to see our need of Christ and trust in Him in ways we never have before. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going through it. Maybe you just feel just, just eaten up and spit out by the difficulties 
of life. Maybe you've recently had to deal with the reality of death. Or maybe you have a loved one who was, is, is dealing with a, with a terminal illness. Whatever it may be, I urge you this morning to be reminded of, rest in, and be comforted by the fact that God is in control, that he holds everything in his hands, including us, and know that he can be trusted and he has a reason for everything that he does and that his plan is perfect. That's what Solomon tells us. Number two, recognize death is certain. Verse two and three. Solomon says it is the same for, for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is, is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. And the same event happens to us all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after they go to the dead. There is one universal truth throughout Ecclesiastes about life, and it's this. It's that all life ends in death. The odds are one of one that we're all going to die, and there are, there are no exceptions to this. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad, if you're clean or unclean, if you're religious or godless. The death, the, the end is the same. Death is certain. Death is what many people call the great equalizer. What that means is death puts us all on an equal playing field, doesn't it? Solomon draws this out in his book. It doesn't matter how significant, how wealthy, how intelligent you are. Those people still die with the unknown, the poor, and the foolish. And get this. If you are not uplifted yet, we don't know when that day is going to be. We don't. We just know that it will be. Think of it in this way. It's like everyone who has ever lived has taken a number from the revenue office and the person behind the desk is just calling those numbers at random. That's life. Some people's number has already been called. People that you know. And you have your number and you know it's going to be called. You just don't know when. That's Solomon's point. You're going to die. Everyone is. And you may not know when that time is going to come, but it's going to come. Now, why is Solomon so straightforward with us here? Why does he speak so candidly about these harsh realities of life? Is he like that person you know of who just loves being the bearer of bad news? You know that person? And you all know that person? They just jump at the opportunity to ruin your day with bad news? That person kind of gets on my nerves. How about you? Is Solomon this person? No, I don't believe he is. I, I think he has good reason for giving us bad news. Very practical purposes here. He is reminding us that death comes to us all because the reality of death, Solomon knows, will radically affect the way we live our lives. If we live with our dying day in mind, it will change the way we live our life from day to day. If you don't ever think about your day of death and you just go along with your life as if you're going to live the next day and the next day and the next day, if that's your mentality, you're going to live accordingly. You're going to live for today. 
You're going to be messed up by the temporal things of this world, and you're going to live for yourself. But on the other hand, if you think about the certainty of death and that every day might be your last, I guarantee you your life will look differently. It will. Solomon continues to explain why it's important for us to think about our death day and in verses 4 through 6. He says this, But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished forever, and they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Dogs in ancient Jewish culture were despicable animals. They were not like pets that you and I have today. I mean, they were despicable, nasty animals. They fed off garbage, they traveled in packs, and they attacked people. They were just savages. But a, but a lion, on the other hand, in ancient Jewish culture, a lion was a magnificent and impressive, majestic animal. Solomon says here that the mangy dog, the living mangy dog is better off than the impressive dead lion. And the reason why is because the dog's still alive. There's still air in his lungs. There's still life in his bones. There is still time left for him on this earth. That's Solomon's point. You may be here this morning, and up to this point in your life, you've lived your life as a, living, as a, as a mangy, despicable animal. Maybe you just haven't lived for God at all. You've just lived for yourself. Listen, Solomon tells us here that while there is still breath in your lungs and life in your bones, you need to be thinking about your dying day and make a change. There is still time to turn your life around and live for God. But you have to live with your dying day in mind. Solomon says in verse 6, their love and their hate and their envy have already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. You know what? All the petty and ridiculous things that, that, that we spend our days worrying about, you know what? They matter little at death. What good is a promotion going to do you if your body's in the ground? Solomon's point. In the grand scheme of things, what good is it to allow hatred and jealousy and anger toward one another dominate your life and occupy your time if that matters nothing when you die? How are you spending your days left here? Are you consumed with earthly things? Are you spending your, your energy and your time just being angry toward others? Let me ask you, is that how you want to go out of this world? Is that the kind of legacy that you want to leave behind? How differently do we treat someone that we know has a terminal illness? Very differently, don't we? We do, because we know one day they're going to die, and, it, and it, it's going to be very soon. So, so we overlook an offense, don't we? We forgive past sins. We cancel debts, and, and we love them and listen to them more intently. Let me ask you this. 
why is it that we don't treat one another in that way if all of us are going to die someday, maybe today? Why is it that we don't do that? Instead, we hold grudges and we treat each other terribly and, and we act as if we have all the time in the world to get things right, when that may not be the case. What would our lives look like if, if we lived our days with this reality in mind? I'm going to die someday, maybe today, and so is everybody else. Some of you are thinking, Grant, that's just morbid. Why can't you give me a message of comfort, encouragement, a, a message that's hope-filled? Well, that's coming in the second part, so get ready. But this is what's in the text here. We have to deal with what's in the text. And as we've talked about already, the Bible doesn't always give us those, those verses that you see on day spring cards, right? The Bible doesn't always blow sunshine. The Bible, at times, it just tells us how it is. It gives us the cold, hard facts of life. And unless you're ready to deal with these realities in life, you're not going to be ready to live in a world that's filled with tests and trials and tragedies. You won't. You'll live your life as a soft Christian expecting God's blessings upon you in every day and in every way. And when things don't go your way, you're just going to crumble. You're going to be like the man who built his house upon the sand instead of the man who built his house upon the rock of God's word. Solomon says death is certain. We need to realize this so we can better live the, the life that God has called us to live. Number three, rejoice. Life is to be enjoyed. Look at verse 7. Solomon says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let oil not be lacking on your head. As people think about the certainty of death, they normally respond in one of two ways. There's the fatalist, and the fatalist says, we're all going to die and life stinks. Let's, and they carry themselves in this way. I mean, just beaten down. The fatal, fatalism just drains all the motivation and the hope from life. It's just depressing for someone with this mentality. The second mentality people adopt is that of hedonism. And what they say is, I, we may die tomorrow, so let's party hard tonight. Let's party till we drop, because tomorrow we die. It's an, if it feels good, then do it type of mentality. Well, the Bible rejects both of these and, and calls for us to adopt a different mentality. And Solomon shows us here in verses 7 through 10 that though death is unavoidable, enjoyment, get this, is possible. Solomon says here, though we need to be mindful of our dying day, though we need to wake up each day with the mentality that we're going to die someday, maybe today, he calls for us to remember chapter 9, verse 1, that God is in control, that he has his children in his hand, that there is purpose behind everything that he does, and that his purpose is good. Therefore, Solomon says we need to Go out, eat our bread with joy, and drink our wine with a merry heart. That's what he tells us in verse 7. Now Solomon is not saying go out and be a glutton and a drunkard. He's not saying that like the hedonist who responds and says life may end tomorrow, so party hard tonight. 
but he is saying we need to enjoy the time that we have left here on this earth while we still have it and do it in a God-honoring way. Verse 8, let your garments always be white. Let oil not be lacking on your head. Solomon's simply saying here, with our death day in mind, we don't need to waste away like the fatalist. At times, we need to get cleaned up. We need to get dressed up and celebrate the fact that God has given us one more day to live with him and for him. In ancient Jewish culture, the, uh, the white clothes were a symbol of celebration. And, and putting oil on your head was the Hebrew equivalent of deodorant or perfume or cologne. So that's what Solomon's saying. He's like, hey, even though you might die someday, maybe today, while you're still living, get up. Get dressed up in your celebration clothes. Get smelling nice and go out and enjoy good food, good drink, and good fellowship. That's what Solomon's telling us. And let's be honest, we need this advice, don't we? We need to hear this. We need to enjoy life. We need to celebrate. Like I've said before, we of all people have a reason to do so, don't we? Then why don't we do it? I want to encourage you this week, and you'll find it in your, in your uh, Connect cards. I want to make a challenge to you this week. I want you to take time, either this week or the next, because I know some of you already got your schedules filled up, to take a break from your busy schedule. Get cleaned up. Get your celebration clothes on. Get dressed up. Get smelling nice. And, and please, get smelling nice. And go out and enjoy the company of friends and family and people from this church and go out and enjoy good food and fellowship. I want to challenge you to do that. We have scriptural basis. We have scriptural support for this. If Solomon were around today and, and using our language, he would talk to us in this way. He'd be like, yeah, you may die today, but while you're still here, have a blast while you last. Have a blast while you last. He goes on to say, verse 9 and 10, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because it is your portion in life and, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you're going. That means going into the ground, Sheol. Solomon says, in the short time we have left here, we need to spend it enjoying the relationships that we have and the work that we do. In other words, Solomon's saying again, have a blast while you last with the ones you love and with the work that you do. Husbands, wives, we need to enjoy the time we have left with one another while we have it. What would our relationships look like if we took our death day seriously? If we got in front of the mirror together as husband and wife and began each day, I'm going to die someday, maybe today. Well, I guarantee you, you do that, your life will look differently. It will. Don't end up like the man I read about recently who died at the age of 88 in L.A. County, the man died and there was no one to claim his body and no one who showed up for his memorial service. 
L.A. County had to actually choose an unmarked grave and pay for this man's burial. Well, this story gets real interesting because this man was in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most time to be married and the most times to be divorced. He's married 29 times, divorced 28 times. He left behind 28 ex-wives and, and one widow who was nowhere to be found when he died. Now this, you know, not one single person, no ex-wives, no widow, no children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren even came to this man's funeral. I mean, what a sad thing to be remembered for. This man missed it. He wasted his life over a stupid record. And he missed out on all the blessings that come with sharing a life with the ones you love. Solomon also says, enjoy the work of your hands. Now, we've already talked about this at length, so I'm not going to go into deep detail here, but, but Solomon says, our work is to be enjoyed if we have the right reasons for working. If you view your work as simply a a unenjoyable means to, to make more money and to be more successful and to have a, a better title, you're not going to find happiness. But Paul tells us in God's Word what kind of motivation we should have for work. He tells us in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And then in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul tells us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Work unto the Lord and work for the glory of God. Those are the right reasons and the right way to find enjoyment in our work. So in light of our dying day, let's rejoice because life is to be enjoyed. Number four. Fourth and finally, realize your days are set by God. Verse 11 and 12. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. We've talked about already that, that, that we like to think of ourselves as being in control, don't we? In the driver's seat, the master of our own fate, the captain of our own ship. But often the opposite is true, right? I mean, we can't do anything about the past and, and we don't know what's right around the corner for us. Solomon makes this point time and time again to show us that the control that we think we have over our lives is a facade. It is. In verse 11, Solomon challenges the preconceived way we, we uh, ideas about the way we look at life. We tend to look at, at certain things that we do and think about them guaranteeing certain results. If I do A and B, then C's got to happen. And sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. In the late 80s, early 90s, Mike Tyson was one of the baddest boxers on the planet. He was. Sky's the limit for Iron Mike. 
I mean, at times they were talking about he's just unbeatable. There's nobody that's going to, to uh, compete with him in a ring. Well, on February 10th, 1990, the unthinkable happened when an inferior boxer by the name of James Buster Douglas fought the perfect fight and defeated the champion. I've heard many people talk about he probably couldn't do that again if he fought Mike a hundred times. But on that night, he did. No one thought he could win, but he did. Truth is, though we think we know what the outcome's going to be in any given situation, we don't know for sure, do we? We don't. This is so true in life. We don't know whether or not we're going to succeed and fail in certain things. We don't know whether we're going to live or die, right? And the reason why Solomon says is because we are not in the driver's seat. We aren't. Our life is in his hands. Though we have our plans on the way things should happen, they don't always happen in that way, do they? At times, we can be like that fish that Solomon talked about in verse 12. Just swimming along doing his own thing and then caught in a treacherous net. Or like that bird just flying through the air, doing his own thing and caught in a snare. That can happen to us in a moment's time. We can have all of our plans, all of our ducks in a row, and the rug of comfort can be pulled out from underneath us like that. Like that. And as we've talked about already, God does this at times, doesn't he? Solomon tells us God appoints he, he appoints adversity along with prosperity. And the reason why he does this is so we will trust in him. God wants us to get this idea that we're in control, that we're in the driver's seat, out of our head. And he wants us to realize our need of him. He wants us to realize that our life is in his hands. Our days are numbered and appointed by him. And in turn, he wants us to trust in him. Let me end by saying this. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't like the uncertainties of life. Join the club, right? You don't like the idea that I'm going to die someday, maybe today. Well, I would love to give you words of comfort this morning in that area. I would love to tell you, don't worry. It's not going to happen anytime soon. When the truth of the matter is, I don't know can't give you that guarantee and I can't give myself that guarantee but one thing I can tell you is this I can tell you how to be prepared when that day comes and how to live even though you die scripture tells us God created man initially holy and happy and in right relationship with himself but you know what happened right man chose to go at life on his own and that act of, of disobedience severed that perfect relationship that we had with God and as a result of that disobedience sin entered into the world and so did death both physically and spiritually which is the reason why we're having this conversation today about death is because of sin death is the greatest consequence of our sin now here's the incredible news though that's the case though we sinned against God and severed that relationship with him you know what God demonstrated his great love for us by reaching out to us again in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ came to earth to be for us what we could not be for ourselves. 
perfect inside and out and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Make us right with him. And why did he do this? So that we might live. John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What a promise. What Jesus offers is better than a long life here on earth, doesn't he? He offers us eternal life with him. You want to be ready for your dying day? You need the work that Christ has done applied to your life. And you can have that applied to you today if you would turn from your life of sin, turn from going at life on your own, and turn toward Christ and trust in Him and trust in His finished work and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. If you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, I urge you, I urge you to do that today. And then you can begin to have an eternal and abundant life with Him and live even though you die. Would you pray with me? Father, our world is so backwards. That's why it makes sense that the topic that we least like to discuss, that of death, is the very topic that we need to be thinking about and that benefits us the most. Father, we know from your word now that we're not ultimately prepared to live until we're prepared to die. So with that in mind, Father, help us to live every day with the mentality that we're going to die someday, maybe today, so that we can live life to the fullest and live our lives in a way that's honoring to you. If there's anyone in here this morning that is truly upset by the certainty of death and the uncertainty of the length of life, Father, show them this morning that what you offer is better than just a long life here on earth. You offer eternal life with yourself in your presence. If there's anyone here who is not trusting in you for salvation, I pray that you would do a great work right here, right now, in their heart, in their life, that they would turn from their sin and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Just going to end this morning with a word to you. Um, next, For the next three weeks, we are going to be uh, focusing in on missions. And uh, next week, we're going to have the Fretheims here, and Peter's going to be speaking. And I encourage you, invite friends and family. I'm excited to get to meet him and hear from him. They're uh, missionaries in Nigeria. And they're going to be going, coming in, talking about their work. They're also having a potluck on Saturday night, which should be in your bulletin. So look at that. We encourage you to come. Uh, next week, I'll be preaching and talking about our work that's going on in Nicaragua. And then we're going to have the following week, we're going to have the Yinglings in. And Scott is going to be sharing with us about the work that they're doing in Latin America. It's going to be a great time. I, I, I want to just encourage you to come and, and learn about why it's important that we support missions and pray for missions and give and go 
to do mission work, okay? So I want to challenge you and encourage you to come and bring friends and family. It's going to be a great time. And uh, that's all I have. So I want y'all to just have a great day. Go out this week, put your celebration clothes on, and go out and celebrate your life with God. You're dismissed.